Let's all stand for prayer. Ask Brother Mark uh, Meister to lead. Let's all pray together. Lord God, we are grateful to be in this place at this time to focus on the events of prophecy and the conditions and times in which we live. Lord, you've called us to be aware of the seasons, and so we're thankful that we have brothers who have studied this matter and are willing to bring this forth. So we pray a special blessing and a, this filling of your spirit now on our brother David as he imparts this important message to each of us. We pray that uh, our hearts will be receptive to this and our minds will be open to receive this teaching. We pray that you be glorified through all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. What do you all think about this weather? I've been to many eastern camps, and I don't think it's been this cool. Some of you that know me know I have a sense of humor, and actually we were in Mansfield last week, and I talked to a couple of brothers, and uh, we got on the subject of uh, the weather at camp, and I told them, I've been praying for a large Arctic mass to come down. So uh, we'll take what we have. Thank you, Lord. I feel it's important to tell you how the Lord led me to this. How many of you have ever been squeezed by the Lord? It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, I do a lot of studies of biblical principles and stories and so forth. And this one was kind of in the back of my mind. I, I've had over, ever since 2004 when the earthquake hit Indonesia, ever since then that... I don't know, maybe it's just me, but how about you? Are you feeling a sense of, of increasing of an intensity of, of these disasters? Anyway, and then I was asked to, to have a, a study of, of eschatology, do a study. That's a, such a broad, a broad subject. And I thought, well, I knew Brother Schlatter would be here. Maybe he and I could corroborate and do something together in the middle, with respect to the Middle East and there was just so much. You have to almost pick a slice. I initially said no. So I didn't think I would have the time, having this in the back of my mind, to, to, to do all this work. And I thought, well, you know, that was really wrong to tell the committee I don't have time to do it. And I didn't want to do it when in the back of my mind I'd been wanting to do this. So I, I, it only took me about 15 to 20 minutes to find a lot of data you know, on the internet, obviously. And it was just mind-boggling. It confirmed what I'd been sensing. So I called Sister Amy, or emailed her, and said, I'll do it. She was ecstatic. So that's how the Lord squeezed me. Does anyone know where that was? And when? Pardon me? Japan. March 11th. 2011, 8.9 earthquake rocked Japan. How many have ever seen of the, these videos? They are amazing. Just just Google some keywords and, and look at them. They're, they're phenomenal. That was probably one of the most uh, popular one we've seen. How did you feel? Edwin? How did you feel when you saw that? So we felt pretty safe in Colorado until the fires hit. Pardon me? We felt safe in Colorado until the fires hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorado fires, another disaster. We felt safe in Toronto too until we got flooded. Yeah. I'll tell you how I felt when I first saw these. Uh, tsunamis is a, is a result of a, an earthquake. And tsunami is like a monster. It's just it's relentless. The water just keeps coming and coming and just tears down structures and debris is just the power. And what's also interesting about you know tornadoes and hurricanes and, and so forth is you can see them coming. You either have some fair warning. With an earthquake, there's very little warning. 
So how many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Those of you who live in California? Yeah, yeah, okay. How'd you feel when you first felt one or continue to feel them? Helpless, yes. Very helpless. So anyway, we're going to look at these four that our Lord Jesus had prophesied. We're going to look at them in reverse. We're going to look at earthquakes first, and then pestilences, and famines, and then, and then wars. Are we living in the last days? Question. Who said yes? Why? Or why would you say that? Because of times, okay. Okay. How do we understand this term, last days? Brother Fred. Okay, very good. The Bible characterizes the last days as the days since Christ. So we were born in the last days, we continue to live in the last days. And here's why. In Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the crowd asked the apostle to explain what was happening. Peter stood up and quoted Joel. He said what was happening on on that almost 2,000 years ago was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. But Joel said that the Spirit would be poured out in the last days. So here we have Peter telling us that the day of Pentecost took place during the time period of the last days. I have a lot of slides. Many are pictures. I'll probably just spend a couple seconds on them. I'm not going to even talk about many. Pictures are worth a thousand words. Here's another one in Hebrews 1 that we're familiar with. First couple verses. The book of Hebrews begins with a description of how God worked in the Old Testament. In verse 2, it goes on to tell us how he began to work in the days of the apostles. The author says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Note that the biblical author declares his generation as being longing to the last days. Yes? To make it clear? Fred, will you help me here? I just bought this Mac. I'm not very Mac-capable. Can you expand that? Actually, my wife asked me to get rid of the, the dock on the bottom, if you could do that. He's not a Mac guy either. And the lighting is not real good in here, so... Thank you. I've been a PC guy all my life, and I'm transitioning to Mac, the Apple products, and I'll tell you why later. Okay. Also, 2 Timothy 3.1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And to understand this verse in context, let, let's read it here. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus is quoted as saying in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. These things are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. Birth pains begin small and increase in frequency and intensity. This passage can be interpreted to mean that earthquakes and famines will increase both in frequency and intensity prior to Jesus' second coming. Although Jesus is clear that no one knows the day or the hour of his return, he does give us broad signs, one of these being natural events. 
Also the text in Thessalonians, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And we know we don't know when he's coming. Don't ask me to make a prediction, because I'll tell you I don't know. Not even Jesus himself knows. Until he gets the call from his father, according to this verse, he doesn't even know. But at that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. This is one charge uh, totally reserved to our God. I just about stood up and shaking my head when, uh, when I was listening to President Obama this year, February 2013, when he gave the State of the Union address talking about climate change. And so, you know, I, I couldn't quickly recall what he said, so I went and Googled the speech and tried to find here what he had said. And he said, but the fact is, the 12 hottest years on record have all come in the last 15. Heat waves, droughts, wildfires, and floods, all are now more frequent and intense. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. This is kind of what the, the turf looks like after an earthquake. There's an earthquake that occurs... Uh, somewhere, and in the surface above, we recognize that as the epicenter, and it sends out shock waves. And actually, the first, first earthquake I experienced, of all places, was Mansfield. I remember probably 35 years ago, I was a technician. After the afternoon service, I was working on a tape or something, and I heard kind of this rumbling. That's what's unusual about an earthquake. You, kind of, you not only feel it, you hear it. It's such an eerie, low dB level noise. And I thought there were a bunch of kids running across, uh, across the altar in Mansfield. So I went out to find out who they were and chase them down. There was nobody there. Found out later it was an earthquake. Um, second one I experienced was a Pine Valley. I was counselor for my boys' age. I think they were about maybe 10 or 11. And it was early in the morning we were sleeping, still sleeping. All of a sudden, you could kind of hear this locomotive coming, like, and the ground swelling and, and rolling. I was like, what is going on here? And I remember Brother Josh Stefan, who wasn't converted at the time because he was really young, he stood up in the top of his bunk and said, being from California, of course, he knew what it was. He said, it's an earthquake. And then the only other time I experienced one was I was at Brother Vic Andre's house in uh, California. He's a minister in the Vista Church. And it was about 5 in the morning. I was sound asleep, and I, I felt the bed shaking. And I thought, well, Brother Vic was coming in to wake me up. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell him to, you know, and I didn't set an alarm clock. Peeking over the covers, I'm like, no, there's, Brother Vic's not there. <laughs> Must have been a, an earthquake. So anyway, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if they if they put orange tape on on the separation here or not, or if it just divided that way. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of fascinating. What's an earthquake? I didn't want to get too technical here, but. It's the shaking of the ground caused by sudden breaking and movement of large sections called tectonic plates. You've probably heard of them, of the Earth's rocky outer crust. The edges of the tectonic plates are marked by faults or fractures. Both earthquakes occur along the fault lines when the plates slide past each other or collide each other. The shifting masses send out shock waves that may be powerful enough to alter the surface of the Earth, thrusting up cliffs and opening great cracks in the ground and causing great damage, collapse of buildings, and other man-made structures, broken power lines and gas lines and so forth, landslides, snow avalanches, tsunamis. 
So a fault or fault plane is a surface where two blocks of earth suddenly slip past each, each other. And the hypocenter, we typically don't hear that term, that's where the earthquake starts, uh, typically deep in the earth somewhere. It doesn't have to be. But, and then the epicenter is the location on the surface of the earth directly above the hypocenter. The epicenter of the Japanese earthquake in 2011 was uh, sighted about 80 miles east of Sendai. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of this I'm going to show you is striking home just in the United States. But my purpose is to give you a global view, and you'll see I'm not going to get very detailed, though I could. The purpose of this presentation is to show you the trending, okay? I don't want to get too deep in the technicalities. That's, that's not my mission here. But, yeah, thanks, yeah, Virginia, of all places. This one always amazed me. Were you aware of there was actually a, a whirlpool created with a tsunami in Japan? You know, it's no different than taking a huge bucket of water and, and shaking it like this. You know, it sloshes back and forth. And often the biggest wave is not the first wave. It's the second and third wave. And then whirlpools are created in streams and so forth. This is amazing. I don't know the outcome of, of this boat. You can't really see it very well but it was caught up in this whirlpool. When was the last time you saw airplanes and cars mixed together? This is also what happened to a, a bridge. This is the top view. You can see, see the ruffles here. Now I'm going to show you the underneath part. You can see like this black sign that was there, I'll show you from the underside. It just ripped the, the pylons right out of this thing. Just shredded them. We've all seen pictures of these. When was the last time you, you found a fighter plane in your front yard? Or a ship? Not, not a boat, a ship. Dry land. or multiple ships in your front yard. It was just incredible disaster. I really couldn't figure this one out, except for these two vehicles, which probably came later. They're colored. One's blue, I think, and the other one's red. But why are all these white? The only thing I can think of was the debris and the swirling and all that just, just stripped the paint right off. Here's a whole pool of white cars. This is the video I showed you, as well as that one. Anyone want oceanfront property here? Yeah, it just picks up a lot of debris. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. You think it's going to stop. And then when it eventually stops, then it's all going to sweep back out to the to the sea. Yeah, it's, I won't go into this. We don't have time. Uh, but this is how the earth moved in the Japanese earthquake. You've got subduction. You've got uh, various other terms. There's a horizontal displacement. There's vertical displacement. This is what the Richter scale looked like. Uh, you had a east-west ground velocity, a north-south ground velocity, and a vertical velocity, uh, 8.9 hit. These are all the aftershocks that took place. You know, it's not over after the first one. I thought this was an interesting map. It's a map of Japan. It shows the height of the water, the height of the tsunamis that, that affected Japan. Many here on the left side are just half a meter, one meter, one and a half meters. But over here, especially in the red, probably can't see these. 
Some of these are 9 and 10 meters. What's that, about 30 feet? This map also shows the intensity of, of the impact of, of the aftershocks. Uh, they happen more, the intensity happens more in the immediate area of the epicenter and spreads out. This is, I thought, fascinating. This is a plume of what the tsunami looked like. Uh, up here is Japan, where it originated. Here's Australia. And, you know, we, we weren't finished with the disasters here, as we all well know. Affected the Fukushima uh, plant. We've all seen pictures of these. Uh, here's a, a transitional uh, photo of, of that. Again, you know, why are earthquakes destructive? Basically, motion on a submarine fault displaces the ocean floor and the ocean surface to produce a tsunami. Wave energy is continued in a progressively smaller space as the wave moves into shallow water near shore, which causes the wave to build up to a height that can reach 10 meters and maybe more. But does anybody know how fast these waves move? Pardon me? No. No. So don't try to outrun one. Uh, they can move up to 500 miles an hour. Yeah. And then they slow up, of course, when they, when they hit the shoreline, okay? But the power or the reactionary force doesn't terminate. That's transitioned then in the increased height in the wave. And so we end up with huge waves coming in. You know, the, the natives in Indonesia and, and Japan, they know when a tsunami is coming. Well, they would, they would feel the earthquake first, and there may not always be a tsunami. You know, if you have an earthquake that shifts like this instead of like this, there probably won't be a tsunami. But they know to run to the hills because they wash the shoreline. The shoreline recedes. Recedes that water, you know, is being displaced somewhere out in the, in the ocean. And so it's got to go somewhere so it recedes. So you saw a lot of visitors in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and so forth out there picking up all the, all the shells and, and whatnot. You know, what's happening? Oh, this is something. We, you know, look at the harvest we're getting. Little did they know, the, the water's building up out in the sea, only to come back to them. But the natives are running to the hills. This is a 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake in, in Indonesia. It was cause on the Indian plate was subducted by the Burma plate and triggered a series of devastating tsunamis along the coasts of most land masses ordering the, bordering the Indian Ocean, killing nearly a quarter million people. In 14 countries and inundating coastal communities with waves up to 30 meters, it was one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. I don't have time to show this. I was going to look it up on the internet and show it to you, but uh, maybe I will later if we have some time. Uh, remind me. Year 2010. This year, this is how the headlines often read. This year started out with monstrous earthquakes striking nations of Haiti, Chile, and China. The death toll from Haiti quake has now risen to more than, again, 230,000. The Chile earthquake is in the record books as the seventh greatest earthquake ever recorded. And I'm sure many of you have, have heard about the Ring of Fire. Uh, you know, we had the earthquake in Japan, March 2011. Uh, I think a month prior, we had the one in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, and then the one in, in Chile uh, previous, previous year. This is a very active uh, plate movement, tectonic plate movement, called the Ring of Fire. For us Californians, or I live in Arizona, so anyway, we're familiar with the San Andreas Fault. That's part of the Ring of Fire. Uh, 
to give you an idea, you know, we have San Francisco to the north, LA in the south. Uh, according to this key here, uh, this section here is creeping, where it's just constantly creeping along. Uh, but the red plates are locked. And it's when these locked plates become unlocked, then you get the sudden shift in the Earth's tectonic plates. That's what the San Andreas Fault looks like from the air. Here's, uh, I don't know what route that is, but is that the one going off to Fresno? or Is that the grapevine? I don't know. Here's uh, somebody standing in the San Andreas Fault. Here's a lady running along it. Looks like it's kind of shored up for whatever reason. Anyone guess how many earthquakes there are on our planet per year? Who said that? 5,000. You are so close. And we don't have an exact number, but thank you. Anybody ever think there were that many? This is a frequency of occurrence of earthquakes. This is a magnitude average annually. This is not a trending. This is the average annually based on observations since 1900. All right, I'm not going to read it. You can all read it yourself. Uh, this is the Richter scale here. Uh, and if I did the math correctly, we're looking at 4,000 a day. You said 5,000 annually? <coughs> I stand to be corrected, I thought you said. Actually, I did ask the question in error. I apologize. 4,000 a day. So that converts to a 1.5 million a year. Basically, the ground is shaking all the time. We just don't feel it. We don't really feel anything below here, unless we're right on top of the epicenter. Thinking about the ground shaking all the time, and I know chapter and verse wasn't put to the text until the 1700s, I believe, but 24-7? How ironic is this one? Are there any earthquakes in the Bible? There's several. Uh, of course, in Genesis 7, 11, uh, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. This was, of course, during Noah's time when it didn't even rain prior to Noah. And I would venture to say probably most of the water for the great deluge came from the fountains of the great deep breaking up. As well as, of course, the mountain shook on Mount Sinai. Uh, there's this one often we reference in First Kings, uh, and he said, "Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord." And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Uh, the one in Zechariah during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and of course in the New New Testament, we read, when, when Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake, as well as there was one on the third day when, when he resurrected. It's, this is probably an aftershock of this one, would be my guess, because they keep coming days after. Um, Acts 16, 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and Everyone's bands were loose. This is, of course, when Peter was loosed. And I know one referenced in Revelation 6.12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. There is a fault line running right through Jerusalem. Many of you perhaps are aware of this. Scientists have discovered that one of the largest tectonic plate faults on the Earth is in the area of the Jordan Valley. After an extensive study, it was discovered there was a large fracture in the Earth running right through the middle 
of the Mount of Olives from east to west. The book of Zechariah describes Jesus' return to the earth at that moment that Jesus' feet touch the soil of the Mount of Olives, the earth will fracture and divide, forming a new valley with one half of the Mount of Olives moving to the north and the other half moving to the south. In fact, when this event happens and this new valley is formed, those left in Jerusalem will flee the Battle of Armageddon by escaping through this newly formed valley. This reminds me of the parting of the Red Sea. And I won't actually read the scripture because this kind of summarizes it just for sake of time, but it's found in Zechariah 14, 1 to 5. And then, of course, the book of Acts also confirms that when Jesus returns, he will return to the top of the Mount of Olives. And in Acts 1, and while they stood steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus was taken up from heaven, from you into heaven, and will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half towards the south. Here is just one more example of God's omniscience. This fault line was placed here at the creation of the world for one purpose. That purpose will be fulfilled at the Lord's return. We're not going to be around in this time frame. Hopefully the Lord will come by then, but due to the explosion of the population of the world, uh, earthquake deaths could reach 3.5 million by 2100. With the planet's growing population crowding more and more into these earthquake-prone regions, a new study predicts that 3.5 million people will die in catastrophic earthquakes between 2001 and 2100. The toll will add additional stress to strapped aid agencies, said study author Tom Holzer, a geologist with the U.S. Geological Survey in Menlo Park, California. But this was interesting, a quote by him. The more people there are on the planet, the higher the probability of more catastrophic earthquakes. Most earthquakes don't actually kill anybody. What is required is a concentration of people in harm's way. Four catastrophic quakes, those that kill 50,000 or more people, have already hit since 2001. There was only one per century before 1900 and seven between 1900 and 2000. The total death from earthquakes so far this century, since 2000, is more than 700,000. Remote areas are at risk, too. Urban growth isn't all to blame. In 2005, more than 50,000 people died when an earthquake hit the Kashmir region in, in Pakistan, devastating a string of villages. And the broad reach of tsunamis can sweep away multitudes in sparsely populated areas. 62% of the world's population lives in countries with a significant seismic hazard. In a study published in 2009, scientists calculated that an earthquake with a million fatalities could be expected once a century century if the world's population reaches 10 billion, as the United Nations predicts will happen in 2083. This is the Haiti earthquake. 2010. I'm not going to read this. Uh, it kind of clarifies this, this next graph. I, I, my motivation was to graph as much as possible, but this shows the acceleration of seismic activity uh, worldwide and looks to me like it's increasing. This also clarifies the next slide. I won't read it, but this is kind of a clustering over 38-year periods of earthquakes greater than 7. Uh, You can see there were 12 from the period of 1863 to 1900, 53 the next 38, 71 the next 38, 164 until next year, as it's extrapolated, 
all the way. Actually, this, this number includes the Japanese quake, uh, but this extrapolated out would be 190 total. I mean, this is just, you look at this data, and it's just, it's an, you're in awe. This report was initially written in 2006. Four-year periods are shown up to 2014. That includes an estimated prediction of earthquakes from 2011 to 2014. And uh, this one in Japan is included in that number. Apart from the long-term trends shown above, which show an ongoing persistent increase, it is more stark to see that earthquakes across the planet show a marked increase in activity since just 1997. There are more earthquakes occurring now on an ever more frequent basis. Trends since 86. This is an 11-year period. There were just 15 earthquakes listed by the USGS of seven or greater. Uh, the next 11-year period, there were 99 earthquakes of the magnitude of seven or greater. This is more than six-fold increase than the previous similar period uh, in this time frame. The trends in here, particularly from 97, support the wider realization of prophecy about the end times, namely that an increase in earthquake activity is a prerequisite for the second coming of Jesus Christ, foretold in the Bible. It does not indicate how close we are to this event, but suggests it is not too far away. There's just another way to cut this trend. Um, earthquakes is just another sign of the times, and you can see the increase over the past centuries. Uh, but you get down here to our century, the first decade of the 21st century has already witnessed 144. And we're just 13 years in our century. Already there, we've exceeded this number. 144 with a magnitude of 7 or greater, putting humanity on course for 1,440 such earthquakes over the next 100-year period. Just another way to, to cut it. Uh, there's not a whole lot of data, obviously, way back, but between the years 526 A.D. and about 1900, there were 31 known major earthquakes. Approximately 2.6.7 million people died in this 1307-year period from, 30, from those 31 earthquakes. During this century, however, there have been over 56 major earthquakes in which well over 2 million people have died. One might say that the detection and reporting of earthquakes has improved in this century over those centuries of the past, and that's a valid question. I was expecting that question, but I'll just intercept it right now. This may be true, but let us look at the quakes from since when we deployed a lot of uh, seismographs, and uh, you'll see that since then we have a phenomenal increase. Global Seismic Hazard Map. Let these uh, pictures speak for themselves. This is the one that is mind-boggling to me. 1900, magnitude between 6 and 8. Pestilence. And there shall be pestilences in diverse places. Any questions about the earthquakes? Thanks. Yeah, I have a question. Sure. Is those, uh, by any, uh, uh, you can find them on YouTube and everywhere on the internet. Uh, some of those earthquakes can uh, be possibly uh, made by, by men, too. Yes. So in what terms? Explosions. Explosions. Yes. And stuff like that. But there is some They know like a project harp. If anybody heard about those things, or sharp or whatever harp thing is what's called sharp harp. There, are, like uh, you can uh, send the waves and control the weather with that thing, which is possible in these days. They control weather for the Chinese uh, uh, Olympic Games. Conspiracy 
There are other ways to create earthquakes, and explosions are one, which could be man-made to trigger a fault line to slip, as well as uh, avalanches can create earthquakes. And Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Pestilence. Yes? Yeah, I've, I've heard of that theory. Pardon me? Yeah. No. I even heard that Hurricane Katrina has a certain name to it. I don't remember the name of it, but it, you know, dead centered on, on New Orleans, a very central city. There might be some, some reasoning to that. Okay, we have to move along here. Pestilence is a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating. The word pestilence is most frequently used in the prophetic books, and it occurs 25 times in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, always associated with the sword and famine. And four other passages is combined with noisome or evil beasts or war. Luke 21.11, and in various places, plagues. We've all seen the Asians wearing these masks, and there was a massive flu pandemic uh, in 2009, um, influenza pandemic, and actually the second of the two pandemics involving H1N1 influenza virus. It's just what the bacteria looks like and the actual plague. Uh, Other examples of infestation, farmers losing war. My wife doesn't like that one. She doesn't like rats, so I'll go through that one real quick. But we're all familiar with AIDS worldwide. From the late 70s to present, the virus may have developed as long as 50 to 150 years ago, but it was not really identified till 81. Uh, the United Nations and the World Health Organization reported that a total of 25 million people have died from AIDS as of December. 2006. You can tell us it's an old report. Had the influenza outbreak in 1918 to 1919, where 20 million people were killed throughout the world. Of course, the Black Death in Western Europe. Statistics worldwide regarding AIDS. We're, we're, we're well aware of this, uh, of, of this pestilence. Uh, more than 34 million people now live with AIDS. It's just the numbers are just staggering. It's just 330,000 were under the age of 15. Apart from the moral issue, there can be no denial that the pestilence of AIDS sprang initially through homosexual intercourse and was augmented later by promiscuity. Every action brings natural consequences. The smoking increases the incidence of lung cancer and the eating of Calorific and fatty acids is likely to result in obesity. The scriptural principle is put simply in Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. King Solomon reiterates the same principle when he writes, and the recompense of man's hands shall be rendered unto him. Thus, modern-day pestilences are not so much an act of divine vengeance as they are natural results of unwise and often sinful behavior of which I'm sure God has imposed his, his divine vengeance upon him, upon mankind. Many students of the Bible see that the promised blessings of a kingdom of worldwide peace are preceded by a great time of trouble that will remove the present and often unjust system of things. That trouble, through a, though a judgment of God, is largely the exaction of the natural consequences of man's own actions. Political oppressions result in revolts of the populace, Economic excesses eventually have their day of reckoning. The hypocrisy of corrupt religious institutions ultimately results in their collapse by disillusioned appreciative actions. In the same way, bad choices in living style bring about their own disastrous consequences. AIDS is but one example of this. 
the Spanish influenza of 1918. I'll keep, spend too much time on that. This is rather interesting here. Uh, a news article uh, in, in 2005 entitled, A Flu Pandemic is Expected to Happen Sooner or Later. As Charles Pillar points out that no one knows whether the bird flu now migrating across the globe will cause a human pandemic, but researchers say it is inevitable that some flu virus eventually will. It's like predicting the big one in California, said a respected epidemiologist. We are overdue for another pandemic, but we don't know when it will hit. Unlike seasonal flu or more serious epidemics that can move through large regions, pandemics leap across the world, spreading through populations with little or no immunity. In the last century, there have been three major flu pandemics, each of which originated with birds and so forth. The WHO, that's the World Health Organization, called on health authorities around the globe to monitor a multidrug-resistant superbug. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. That surfaced in South Asia and spread to Britain. The WHO said a new gene enables some types of bacteria to be highly resistant to almost all antibiotics, with some bacterial strains of death rate is as high as 30%. In the U.S., there's a growing problem with bed bugs. It's been in the news lately. The city of New York had 11,000 complaints about bed bugs last year. Bed bugs have been discovered recently in theaters, clothing stores, hotels, housing projects, and posh apartments. They have been found in the Empire State Building. In a span of less than 25 years, the United States alone, not to mention the world, has been stricken by a wave of pestilence and new infections. Over the last century, horrible plagues such as toxic shock syndrome, Legionnaire's disease, AIDS, Lyme disease, bird flu, Ebola, hantavirus, just to name a few, have emerged from obscurity to become household names. There are now becoming more and more diseases from the food supply as well. Uh, continued use of pesticides has helped produce superbugs that pesticides can barely kill. Bed bugs now afflict one out of six homes in the United States. Many do not realize they have these in their home for they blame the bites on a rash. The pesticide that once killed them no longer kills the bed bugs. Uh, I just keep drilling down on this subject, and I just didn't have a lot of time to put this together because I'm only limited to a certain amount of time, but we're well aware of the pestilence of killer bees that have developed through crossbreeding. A third of all the food produced in the world is destroyed by rats and other pests. AIDS has infected millions. In Uganda, one of five are infected with AIDS. This keeps going on and on. But these superbugs are kind of interesting. Uh, they are resistant to all antibiotics. Now, what's that going to do to us? I mean, I love antibiotics. They're a miracle drug. Um, examples of MRSA and Klebsiella uh, pneumonia. A family of nightmare superbugs, untreatable and often deadly, is spreading through hospitals across the U.S., and doctors fear that it may be, soon, may be too late to stop them. These are nightmare bacteria that present a triple threat. They're resistant to nearly all antibiotics. They have high mortality rates, killing half of people with serious infections, and they can spread their resistance to other bacteria. This just expounds more on... Uh, on these superbugs here. There's an actual story that I think is kind of interesting to read. The superbugs are found in 42 states, Frieden said. He felt it was time to warn the public. The country has a, only a narrow window of opportunity to act before it's too late to halt the superbugs spread. When antibiotics no longer help a patient, doctors are resorting to alternatives such as surgery to cut out infected tissue, said Seafree, who added that the country could be entering the beginning of the post-antibiotic era. Neil Fishman, Associate Chief Medical Officer at the University of Pennsylvania Health System, said doctors are now considering using old, outdated antibiotics that can damage the kidneys because safer ones no longer work. I've had to ask patients, do you want a toxic antibiotic and end up on dialysis, or would you prefer to have a limb amputated?
Jesus said there would be an abundance of plagues and diseases marking the time of his return, even though these things will become increasingly widespread in the days to come. The Bible also tells us that God can protect and even heal those who trust in him. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Psalm 91 and Malachi 4 gives us some assurance here, brothers and sisters. I wanted to touch on cancer. It's really not considered a pestilence because it's not infectious. But this has affected all of us. Uh, Aside from the above-mentioned plagues, there is, of course, cancer, which is considered non-infectious. Scientists estimate that about 80% of cancers are caused by environmental factors such as tobacco smoke, active or passive, the ingestion of harmful chemicals in our food supply, virtually unheard of among our ancestors. Over Over 100 different kinds of cancers now kill over 6 million people every year. A dramatic rise in the deadly skin cancer melanoma, which is common in Arizona. It's a skin cancer. And the sun shines 86% of the time in Arizona. So when I'm out golfing, I look for shade because I know I'm getting a heavy dose of UV. Who of us here at camp have not been affected by cancer in some way, either directly or indirectly? Probably no one. Who of us or has had a loved one we know that has either battled cancer or died from cancer. Probably all of us. We have a couple individuals with us at camp this year. I thought I'd touch on floods a little bit here. This is in 2010. Uh, Many have been struck by noteworthy flooding. In April, Brazilian city Rio de Janeiro had terrible flooding. Uh, 20 million people were affected, uh, but the most, excuse me, but the most remarkable flooding has occurred in Pakistan, where the deluge has been of epic proportions. 20 million people affected, 1,400 dead, 900,000 homes damaged, 3.5 million people at risk for waterborne diseases. One-fifth of the nation is now underwater, and the rains are continuing to fall. I wonder where this one was taken. Any clue? Pretty ingenious, I thought. Even gets animals. Tornadoes, thought I'd touch on this one. Question, do you know where most tornadoes occur in the world? Pardon me? Alabama. Alabama. Let's get a little bit broader here, Brother Mike. Uh, it's too, too big. Drill down a little bit. I heard United States. Well, yeah, Tornado Alley, to be specific. I, I did not know this. Uh, in the United States, there's the incidence of tornadoes that occur in the world. So in looking at the data in the United States, I think it's pretty valid that we consider this trending Uh, globally. And this is why I don't have time to read it. This is why, if you want to know, it's all about the formation of the mountains in the west and the the plains and all that. Pardon me? Yeah. What's that? There you go. We'll blame it on the Canadians. Anyway, this is the number of uh, tornadoes that have occurred in the United States. Uh, if we would linearize this, Brother Gibb, as we've done in college, right? If I had to draw a line here, it would trend up. Somebody said Tornado Alley? Yep, right on, right here. I mean, think about it. The one that hit Moore, Oklahoma, just south of Oklahoma City, was a EF-5. 
and it cut a swath a mile and a half wide for 10 miles. It was on the ground for an hour. And that just happened, right? Yeah. You don't want to experience an F4, F5. I heard an F5 is characterized as a finger of God. United States tornadoes since 1955. What can you say here? All reported tornadoes in the U.S. going up. This one is significant tornadoes. Goes up and then it comes down here since 1950, but it's starting to peak again. Kind of looks like one of my trades. Hurricanes. This is the one Katrina, of course, that hit uh, New Orleans. Annual number of hurricanes and major hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin. Okay, going up a little bit here. Uh, of course, the text we're looking at doesn't include tornadoes and hurricanes, but I thought I'd look at them anyway. This is uh, global, uh, major, and total hurricanes. The red is major ones. Uh, the blue is total. Famines. And there shall be famines in diverse places. Famine is a widespread scarcity of food caused by several factors, including crop failure, population imbalance, or government aid policies. This phenomenon is usually accompanied or followed by regional malnutrition, starvation, epidemic, and increased mortality. Nearly every continent in the world has experienced a period of famine throughout history. Some countries, particularly in sub-Sahara Africa, continue to have extreme cases of famine. Were there any famines in the Bible? During Joseph's time. Hey, these are all pictures we've seen. This one's pretty gut-wrenching. I'm sure she lost her child. Loss of uh, animals, too. Valuable farm animals. This one's pretty pathetic. The Great Russian Famine of 1921. This, to me, is the most appalling. I don't even want to show it anymore. Um, the drought in Russia in 2010, just a few years ago, severe drought in Russia devastated the nation's wheat crop. And then, of course, that just raises the prices. Uh, Prime Minister Putin banned all exports of grain until the end of the, the year. The ban has pushed prices to their highest level in two years in the United States. Russian grain exports totaled 21.4 million metric tons last year, about 17% of the global grain trade. The Middle East is heavily dependent on Russian grain, Egypt, the world's largest wheat importer is left to wonder whether current contracts with Russia will be honored. If we should have a drought in another country that is a key grain exporter, global famine could become a real possibility. Again, this data speaks for itself. Um, as the population of the world has grown, famines have caused more and more death and destruction in their wake. Um, I thought this was interesting. And the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus. The entire Roman Empire is estimated to be 55 million people. Just the first half of the 20th century alone witnessed these famines since 1921. Millions dead. That's an estimated 26.5 million who perished from famine just from these seven famines alone. From 59 to 61, the Great Chinese Famine is estimated to have killed 36 million a sign of the times, another way to look at it on a per-century basis. You can see increasing in, in frequency. And another appalling statistic, the first decade of this century alone has already witnessed 12 famines, barely 13 years into the century, putting humanity on course for 120. We put 120 down here at the end of the century. Um, have these famines increased in intensity and severity? Yes. 
Famines have dramatically increased in both frequency and intensity since Jesus first answered his disciples' questions. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Tomahawk cruise missile. Number of countries with large U.S. troop deployments. You can see this one is kind of increasing here. Countries hosting 100 plus U.S. troop deployment. This is a study called The Frequency of Wars. I won't read it. We're running out of time. This shows the frequency and intensity of the Western Wars. Of course, this is uh, the World Wars here. The frequency and intensity of increase of the Chinese Wars. There were 3,200 conflicts between 1870 and 2001. There have been a steady upward trend in the number of bilateral conflicts conflicts over this period, about 2% annually on average, and so forth. Uh, this pattern over time has been uneven and influenced by the birth of new nations from about 50 to more than 180 over the period in question. But in the first 80 years, the number of countries did not change much, and the relative frequency of disputes fluctuated wildly and tended to rise. Then over the next half century, the relative frequency of disputes fell back to the level of the 1870s, and below, but the number of countries increased dramatically, and, and this took over as the main driver that kept the absolute number of conflicts on its upward trend. Uh, conflicts have been growing about 2% a year on average. Number of conflicts have been rising on a stable trend. Because of the two world wars, the pattern is obviously disturbed between 14 and 45, but remarkably after 45, the frequency of wars resumed its upward course on pretty much the same path as before 1913. Largely because uh, we've had an increase in, in, in population, increase in nations, uh, an increase in borders, in border disputes. But this one pretty much tells that this is a logarithmic chart for those of you engineers familiar with this. We don't just go 1 to 10 and then 10 to 20. You can see the general increase of pairwise conflicts. That's what we're studying. And this, of course, tells the bottom line here, the number of wars over time. Again, another way to cut it, you can see the number of wars increasing over time. We're on course for 550 this century. Have these wars increased in frequency and intensity? Yes. With respect to intensity, for most of human history, wars were fought through individual hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the past few hundred years have witnessed the ascension of more accurate guns, machine guns, and aerial bombing. Today we have single weapon of mass destruction that can kill hundreds of thousands of people. In conclusion, end times. But this is interesting. This is natural catastrophes worldwide. Geophysical, climatological, meteorological, and hydrological. Global natural increase. So what does this all mean? Got a couple minutes left here. Jesus is coming soon. He gives us these broad signs. We can't deny the, the raw data. The end of the age of prophecy, prophecies are not meant to scare us as believers, but to prepare us as Christians that our redemption is drawing nigh. The dramatic increase in devastating wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes from the time of Jesus until today is one of the clearest signs of the end times. As the birth of a baby approaches, the birth pangs increase two ways. 
frequency and intensity. Thus, Jesus was saying that the closer we get to the time of his return, the more frequent and intense the signs will become. There will be more earthquakes and more intense ones. Likewise, famine, pestilence, and wars. Second to the last verse in the Bible. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Any other questions? I know I kind of blew through this. That's, that's me, those of you that know me. So, Thank you for coming. <laughs>